how can work not be personal, right? You're spending majority of your waking hours doing that and working with individuals in a professional capacity. It's incredibly important that folks have fun. Welcome to The Future of Work, the podcast that looks at, believe it or not, the future of work. It's brought to you by Wonder for their blog, Chaos and Rocket Fuel. Wonder are productivity and human behavior specialists whose goal is to help us humans remain relevant in an ever more technology-based workplace. Check them out at wonder.com. That's W-N-D-Y-R.com. I'm Doug Folks, and along with Wonder CEO Claire Haydar, we regularly meet up with industry experts and mavericks to get their take on work in the future. Today we meet Ananth Ava, President and COO of Piperfy. Piperfy is a no-code workflow automation platform that empowers citizen developers to transform the way they work. And you can find them at piperfy.com. That's P-I-P-E-F-Y.com. Ananth brings over 15 years of demonstrated leadership and experience in the tech industry, including executive roles for enterprise work management software organization Rike, cybersecurity leader Lastline, and cloud-based contact center solution LiveOps, which is now Serenova. Ananth's prior experience also includes positions at Google, Voyant Advisors, and KPMG. And if you're already a little bit confused, please don't be. This fascinating and crucial conversation about the essence of the future of work, I must admit it left me a little bit high and dry at times. So assuming some of you might be in the same boat, I'm going to fill you in as we go on the tricky details. So in the next 40 minutes, we will discuss the expectation of knowledge workers to become citizen developers the evolution from RPA to IPAS to process orchestration, the need for chief people officers to groom future operational leaders, and the implications for companies and individuals in the ever more challenging workplace. But first, let's find out who Ananth Ava is. Claire. Ananth, hi. It's so good to have you here with us today. Likewise, great to be here, Claire. You've built an absolutely fascinating career path for yourself. Whether it's been deliberate or not, I'm not sure, but there is definitely like a golden thread that runs through it. You know, starting in your early days at KPMG, moving on then to Google, then moving more into the equity side of things. You've really like woven a very clear path and where you are right now, I think, you know, sort of starting maybe just before your days at Reich, then moving into Reich, and now with the role as president at Piperfy, you very clearly have moved into the operational side of tech. Do you see your career in, in this way, or is this very much like 2020 hindsight that's kind of brought you to where you are today? It's more of a hindsight experience. I never thought um, I would end up in in a full-on operator role. I realized that I w- as I was going through uh, sort of my initial days at KPMG, uh, we had a chance to take a couple of companies public, and I really enjoyed uh, seeing how the management t- team came together and sort of put the package together, if you will, um, to present the company to the world. I, I think building companies is extremely challenging, but also very rewarding. And I think when I look back at my career, 
what I tried to do uh, is leverage the, the strength of being data-driven in terms of background to then drive to a position where I could be an operator. But in terms of, uh, was there a science behind it? I must confess, no. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was more opportunities presented themselves. And uh, I, I was really fortunate to have worked with mentors who supported me through those transitions. And I can vouch for that, you know, Anand, because, you know, working together with you back in our Reich days, it was something that I hugely respected about your leadership was how data-driven you were, whether we were dealing with forecasting and growth and, you know, planning our work together moving forward or whether we were actually looking at challenges that arose, you know, in certain projects that we were navigating together, you always came back to the data. Another interesting thing that I picked up um, is that you are very multilingual. You speak Hindi, Telugu and French, as well as English, of course. Tell us about your origins and your lineage. Born and raised in India came to the States at the awkward, awkward time of high school. So it wasn't oh. the easiest uh, transition, but I'd say, yeah, very fortunate. Um, I mean, definitely grew up in a country where I, I know I'm going to be wrong on this, but it's 26 or 27 plus languages uh, easily. Uh, so being in a multilingual society wasn't unusual. So between Hindi and Telugu, is Telugu specific to your family and the region in India where you come from, or how do those two play together? It's very much, I would say, like modern day Italy, right? Uh, the, the notion of India as a country is actually a very modern one. Ironically, one that the British introduced uh, post the occupancy and really each state had a very unique identity, very similar to Italy, and then it got federated uh, post-independence. And the way I think about it is Hindi became sort of a de facto national language, uh, and certainly with Bollywood and pop culture, that much more popular. And then each region actually has their own native language. And so the region that I'm from, uh, which is in the South, are the native language that we spoke was Telugu, and that's what we speak in our household. Uh, now, my wife is from the north and she actually is Punjabi. So she actually has a different dialect, but she also speaks Hindi. So the one thing that's sort of the common thread, I suppose, uh, across India is at least most people are fairly proficient uh, in Hindi. Anantha, I want to move away. We've got to get to know you a little bit, which is very valuable, but I want to bring you right up to date to your, your current position at uh, Piperfine. What have you found in the time that you've been there in the trends that are, are persisting and what can you see that Piperfy can, what trends can it answer and, and attend to? Yeah, I think the one trend that we can all agree on, certainly with the collective experience that we've been through over the last 12 months is this notion of uh, leveraging technology uh, and the digital acceleration of digital transformation is in fact there and it's occurring at an incredibly fast pace, depending on the statistics that you read, an average mid-sized company and I think has over 130 to 140 applications uh, to stand their operations. And then as you go to the large enterprises, it's 6,000 plus applications who are on a call Actually, last week, where we were, we heard that statistic, and I should say we shouldn't be surprised, but it's always often surprising to see how many applications are really there uh, that are running on the back end. And there's a vision that I think 
a lot of people have, and I'll, I'll say it's analogous to sort of the US where, okay, you have all these applications, but it's very well connected, it's federated, you know, the highway systems link everything, the Safeway store logo that you see in one city is the same as the other city, language is fairly consistent. And so when work gets done from one department to another department, or as you go through, everyone just understands what's happening. And there's this collective intent. And that's how organizations move and should behave in the future. And that's what technology in theory should do. I think the reality is very different. It might be closer to what you you were talking about, Doug. Organizations and departments are their own little fiefdoms and they have their own subcultures, their own hierarchies and their social influences. And connecting them is not that easy. And th there's sort of this notion that every SaaS company will open itself up with simple APIs and, and you should be able to connect one system to another. Our experience is, number one, that's not true. And number two, even if you can get the connection done, process orchestration matters. And when we think about Pipeify, we acknowledge that reality, which is as processes come in and out and wheel through different departments and organizations, for us to scale effectively, we need enough adaptability uh, for those those departments to build their own sub-processes. But then we have this connective tissue, like a highway that runs across all the departments and we have the right entry and exit points. So we can still function as a singular organization. So the way I would describe us is we're sort of this system of engagement that sits on these systems of records where we're taking an unstructured and structured data to then drive effective workflows and processes across the organization. But the way we do it is making sure that we're respectful of sort of the quote unquote local traditions in each uh, department while at the same time ensuring that they're connected to manage the end to end process from start to finish. I love what you've just shared, but like, honestly, I've never actually thought about a company as a country, you know, with its little fiefdoms and, and cultural context and everything like that. But it true, like that is genuinely a brilliant analogy because one of the things that I always go on a rant about is how one of the most critical skills that should be taught to kids at school and particularly in college days, you know, when once kids actually leave school and, and go to college and start very earnestly preparing for the world of work is that people aren't taught how to work. It's just assumed that you know how to work, but the problem is everybody works differently. And then, you know, you take it to like an onboarding level inside a company, very, very seldom do companies onboard people into their world of work and how they work. And so that's where you get these extremely rich siloed worlds that exist, you know, because marketing doesn't function like finance and doesn't function like engineering, et cetera. You're creating a new type of operational tech, call it a new category if you want. And it's just, just starting to emerge. Share with us a little bit about that and share with us why you're excited about this. Yeah, I think if we, if we speak um, sort of the analyst language for a moment, we would be in the low-code application platform space. Um, I'd say the space itself isn't new. Uh, there's plenty of companies like uh, Appian, ServiceNow, Pegasystems that have been around for quite some time to do it. Um, I think what has changed, though, and what is interesting now is 
as you get into this notion of introducing abstraction layers on top of coding, uh, fancy way of saying in the past, perhaps you'd have to know a programming language to get in and really be effective at building applications. Now with good design, good UI UX, we're arming what analysts would call citizen developers to be able to build applications themselves. And this whole notion of low code, no code movement has taken off again, where now with the proliferation of applications and as people become more and more specialized, in fact, there's a fascinating MIT study that was commissioned in 2018 and just concluded this year about the future of work in the last six months of the study happened um, in the midst of COVID. And the reality is that even an accounts payable clerk who perhaps a decade or even 20 years ago was doing data entry work is no longer doing that because a lot of that is automated. Now they're sort of in this interesting position where they might be working directly with the CFO's office on more strategic priorities like delaying payments to better forecast and manage cash flow. All of a sudden now that accounts payable person is a citizen developer who has to build some custom workflows and applications to allow him or her uh, to be effective at, her, at their job. And I think that shift has happened or certainly accelerated uh, with COVID where the expectations, I think, for knowledge workers continues to escalate. And that this notion of low code, no code applications being essential for knowledge workers to perform their job has also accelerated. So that's the space that I would argue uh, we, we would have a leadership position in, but very specifically within that low-code, no-code application platform, um, there's an emerging category called citizen development automation platforms that really rely on your average, quote-unquote, knowledge worker uh, who's a citizen developer who can build and stand up sophisticated applications to get their work done. That's what we're incredibly passionate about, and that's what we're empowering. And in fact, even our mission is to enable doers to drive change. <laughs> so that's uh, that's that's really as as simple as it is, but it's happening at a very very quick pace. And then yourself and Claire could go on at a high level talking in great detail, but I w I'd like you to really, for the sake of myself and a few, quite a few of our listeners, to really break it down. I think one of the biggest issues when we're thinking, when I think of, you know, SaaS products, uh, products like your, yourself, I automatically bundle you in with, with Wakato, maybe Trey, Power Automate, and a, a bunch of other automated platforms. Can you just break it down for me? Maybe use a use case and just show what is different about Piperfy and and how is it going to be critical to businesses and clients going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I think with any sort of emerging category that's going through rapid change. There's bo both uh, benefit and confusion by association. So I think what we've seen is sort of three or four revolutions happen. So we're winding back five, six years ago. If I had to go and describe the journey at, at even Reich, we were saying, hey, we're, we're not just a project management platform. We're a new way of helping knowledge workers to get work done. And then all of a sudden this quote unquote, work management category emerged and accelerated. And now it's understood that 
knowledge workers need to start structuring work in a better way out of emails and Slack. And so there's a whole category of work management that has sort of matriculated at this juncture. Similarly, about five years ago, there was a notion of we shouldn't have knowledge workers do simple things like data entry or these tasks that are fairly repetitive and homogenous. So we should drive automation through bots. And I think back then, if uh, everyone was talking about bots, it was it was sort of confusing. And it was it was like, oh, well, these are just these are just dumb chat windows that pop up versus UI path automation anywhere in Blue Prism have showed us that you could automate task management at scale, especially those that are homogenous. So that has now come to fruition, um, certainly with the incredibly successful IPO of UiPath, and I suspect a few more uh, that are going to come out here either this year or early next year. Uh, sorry, it's Doug here from the Edit Suite. At this point, I got a little confused. So here are a few terms that might help you out. RPA is Robotic Process Automation, or BOTS. IPaaS is a platform for building and deploying integrations within the cloud and between the cloud and enterprise. A GUI, spelt G-U-I, is a graphical user interface, and that just allows you to interact with the tech under the surface. And citizen developers, which we will go into, are individuals in companies who develop apps themselves to help streamline their jobs and jobs of others. I hope that helps. Back to you, Ananth. And then what, what happened is, okay, well, we have this sort of work management category that's sort of structuring work. We have RPA that's doing task management at scale and automating it. But wait a minute, like we have all these systems, these systems of record, and sometimes actions have to go from one system to another. And for these tools to work, there needs to be some sort of a connective tissue on just data transfer or actions. And that's where... I think the iPass world, so I think Zapier just got valued at $7 billion plus. Uh, certainly, I don't think anyone's gone public yet per se, but you've always had MuleSoft, Delboomi, and a few others and for, in terms of other connectors or, or iPass connectors in, in general. And I think you're going to see a whole new ecosystem uh, come up there. The difference, though, that I would say is, and where, where it's a bit of a coopetition, is a lot of times... You know, when we go in, let's say with a Power Automate, sure, you can automate a task and go from step A to step B, but then you can't go back from B to A if there was a clarification or a change. And to make this an illustrative example, let's say a bot can basically scan an email, pull out the language. Let's say you're trying to do automatic uh, vendor provisioning or, or customer provisioning or onboarding, right? I scan it and I say, oh, okay, Doug, like I see you uh, and let's assume that we're doing employee onboarding. We scan your offer letter and we automatically put you in. Oh, but wait a minute, there's two Dougs. Um, and is this the same Doug that's re-onboarding in a different capacity? Is, was it something else? But with an RPA, that whole sort of human-centric automation where you need some sort of a layer of approval review or you need to actually just see how the end-to-end -end process is, is going to occur. Like, what's the next step? Like, now that we've provisioned Doug into our systems, is it the same Doug? Is it a marketing Doug? Is it a sales Doug? That type of view does not exist in, in sort of a power automate. And that flexibility to drive human-centric automation does not exist. And so 
the way we think about ourselves is we we certainly work with a lot of iPass connectors. We we work with a lot of a lot of the the bots, and we work with a lot of the work management tools. But we're at the end of the day in the process orchestration business, and we sit on top. We're now we're able to actually not only tell you where we are uh, in terms of the employee onboarding step, if there's any confusion or data duping exercises, we can go through that, and then we can also map it into sort of hierarchies of what happens next. So now that you've onboarded into our system, what other systems do I have to onboard you on? How do I customize that onboarding experience for you where we can automate certain things, but then where we do need to have some human-centric touch, we can introduce that as well. And the difference I would say at a technical level is most of the other sort of players, like an RPA or an iPass connector, they don't have a GUI uh, that's sitting on top. And I don't mean GUI to automate a task, but a GUI to actually visualize the process from start to finish. Or they lack a database. And so ultimately, we're sort of this temporary system of record to say, okay, this is Doug, this is the address, this is the cost center, this is the department that they're going to get mapped to, et cetera, to avoid any confusion. And number three, business logic, which both the other two systems do have. So if you assume for a moment that PipeFi can give you the database, the business logic, as well as give you the UI, UX, and the visualization layer, like a GUI, now those three elements together have actually allowed a citizen developer to build a lightweight workflow application for employee onboarding, customer onboarding, supplier onboarding, or whatever it might be, versus just connecting one system to the other. So. That's where we really differentiate ourselves in human-centric automation to then drive some of those more complex tasks that actually become processes and then become a process orchestrator versus just a task automation tool. What you share, yeah, is I, I don't think the average person on the street realizes how significant this is. So I want us to really just pause here and and talk very realistically about what the implications of this are. If I take off my technology hat and I pretend that I know nothing about the tech that you're talking about and I, I haven't been steeped in it for many, many years and I'm literally just a graduate who has finished a computer science degree or a graduate who has just written a whole set of CPA exams. What you're telling me is that it is no longer okay for me as a graduate coming into work to just be proficient at that which I've studied, whether it's computer science or accounting or HR or whatever it is I've studied. I actually need to have an extra skill and that is the ability to use these no-code, low-code applications to automate my own job. Is that correct? Yeah, I think the way I think about it is I'm not an academic, but certainly uh, most of the academia continues to point towards this. Uh, and maybe I'll use a good analogy. So in sort of this MIT study, or if you look at, if you hear some of the free economics podcasts or some of the interesting things the economists are saying, like, let's go 50, 60 years ago. There was a doctor, and even if it's a cardiologist, there's a cardiologist that's a heart doctor. Well, today, within each one of those fields, there's subfields and subfields within subfields where doctors, if you go into a hospital, the amount of equipment has just proliferated uh, because the more specialists you have, 
the more specific things they need to, to be able to execute their work. Similarly, when you think about, oh yeah, there's an HR person or an accounting person or a legal person. Well, not really. There's HR business partners, there's talent directors, there's HR operations folks, there's benefit and compliance folks. Okay, now all of a sudden you have a carta for the stock options person. Now you have uh, ERP, some, some sort of an HRIS system like an ADP or Workday. Oh, but wait a minute, you need something for talent. Oh, okay, that's where you get a greenhouse, uh, you get Namely or some, some, some other um, recruiting tool. So now all of a sudden what you're seeing in the workplace is what universities and education does is makes you an incredibly good specialist and very proficient from a business perspective to understand your little fiefdom and your little dominion so you can be an incredibly effective quote-unquote recruiting person or incredibly effective accountant where you know the debits and credits. But the problem, I think, in, in sort of the practical world when you come into the workplace is a lot of the fundamentals um, that you, you do need to learn and that you need to understand are going to get automated. Nobody's sort of keying in manual journal entries and debits and credits. That would be pretty unusual. And no, uh, similarly, no recruiter is going in and keying in the name, the address, et cetera, because a lot of that is now being automated. So now what's happening is you're asked to do a higher order activity, which is to take your specialty and then translate the implications of your specialty to a larger workflow. So if you're an accountant and you're doing something, you're now being asked to not just do the debits and credits, but you're being asked to also do the analysis on, well, what does this mean for our cash flow, our earnings, or is this something that you expected, or is it unusual, or there, are there technical accounting issues with this? Same thing with the recruiter. A recruiter is not just sitting there just hiring and just placing folks. They're trying to understand what are the business implications of not having this person in and where are their roles that have flexibility and where are their roles that do not have the flexibility. So if you have to now translate what you do and translate it to a broader perspective, you have to understand all the connections of what you do both from an operations perspective and a systems perspective to the bigger order of things. And I think that's where by default, the person who is sort of that citizen developer is going to have an incredibly big competitive edge over someone who might just be a functional specialist and they're good at it, but they realize that most of what they do is already being automated or done anyway. And their, their job now is to translate this to, to something else. And that's where they'll probably struggle um, is, is carrying out the higher order functions because they don't know how to build that connective layer to other processes and other systems and understand the implications of it. So if you were talking to a set of very senior HR leaders, like chief people, officers, et cetera, would your recommendation be that this should become a key skill that is placed on job specs and is actually hired and recruited for? Absolutely. Um, I think the way I would frame it is if you like it or not, um, we've learned that organizations need to be adaptable um, and they have to adapt to changes very quickly. Like it or not, there's just not going to be enough developers to go around and they they probably won't be, uh, at least not not over the next sort of... 50 to 100 years and like it or not jobs are going to get even more complex and because 
each job gets more complex, you're going to continue to have proliferation of systems and tools as you have in hospitals. So as doctors can deliver better care, organizations can also function better. And those, those people who have those specialties are that much more effective in their job. So if you assume that the first three things are true and you need to then be this agile organization that is interconnected and that embraces the specialty as opposed to saying, no, 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 you, you have to use this ERP system to do your job. And then you have a specialist saying, well, but I can't because what you're, what, what I'm being asked to do and where I can deliver the higher order activity is if I get this quote unquote specialized tool and here's the ROI and they can argue for it. If you're the organization that resists that change, then you're not going to be agile and flexible and you'll probably have a lot of challenges and short shortcomings. If you are the organization that embraces that and knows how to do that well and has the right amount of citizen developers internally, which is a necessity to make sure that you can act in a more coordinated fashion, then absolutely you need more citizen developers, uh, not just in your te own teams, but across the organizations who have a technical mindset so they can start embracing sort of the, all, all, all the things that we just talked about by way of execution. You've mentioned this term citizen developer quite a few times, and I think it's important for us to, to elaborate on that a little bit. So let's say one of the many chief people officers that I know are going to listen to this podcast with you, listen to this and decide, okay, we need to roll out a training session in our company and build an army of citizen developers for ourselves. What does that look like? Where do they go? How do companies go about building this function into the fibers of their existence? I think the way to do it, in my view, is first you have to identify those people who have the, the awareness of, okay, we're, I call them design thinkers, right? So people who understand architecturally, okay, here's my HRIS system and here's my talent and talent management system and here's my benefits system. Are these all connected? Do they have to be connected? What are the right entry and exit points? Ultimately, what's going to be my system of record? Meaning similar to a CRM, does everything come back to my HRIS system and that's the source of truth or can the sources of truth reside in multiple levels? I would say the first thing is just embrace design thinking and there's plenty of design thinking course, almost like internal product managers, right? For, your, for each of the departments and organizations. If you understand design thinking, then you understand process. If you understand process, the technical aspects of how you solve for that, you can then pick, right? So I, I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, Pipefy is this antidote that's going to solve everything. We, we frankly do not, right? There's certain things that we do very well and certain things that we do not. But the beauty of it is there's an ecosystem of RPA. There's an ecosystem of iPass connectors. There's an ecosystem of things like Pipefy that are much more no-code, low-code. And then there's classic macros and, and visual basics and, and C. That's maybe some of your C++ that some of your employees may be actually very functional and adept at. But I think what I would argue for most sort of chief people officers to do is this notion of design thinking and helping groom sort of future operational leaders as opposed to 
just functional specialists who are very good at just their one thing without looking across the bay and, and connecting all of the different tools and processes. That is probably where I'd invest a lot of energy in. And we call them citizen developers because at the end of the day, they're, they're sort of building applications to stand up and move over sort of deficiencies in their organization. I think that's, uh, that's definitely the result, I would say, like the, the last step of the process. But I would say where we spend a lot of time with our customers is the first three to four steps of the journey and just, well, what is your process? And do you really want everything to be in your HRS system or ERP system or whatever, whatever your system of record is? Or can it live elsewhere? Should it live elsewhere? What, what matters to you, right? And, and that's where a lot of questions go back to the organization where I think they have this uncomfortable proposition of, well, who's, who's going to answer this <laughs> in the organization and who makes these decisions is unclear. So I think that's where there's, there's a lot of work that CPOs can do today to embrace that design thinking first. And then naturally a lot of these tools will come out. In my experience, I found that people who are in operational roles and who have some shape or form to create operational efficiency and operational ex excellence tends to land in the hands of people who have very real particularities about very particular things. So what are some of your pet peeves in work and how has that been part of this career journey that you've built that, have brought, that has brought you to Piperfy today? It's an interesting question. I would say if there's a pet peeve that I have, it's the you send a message, Slack or email or otherwise, and you don't get a response. And then you're not quite sure what happened to it. So I always tell my team, hey, if someone sends a message, right, whether it be a customer or an internal communicate, whatever it might be, they took the time to write the message and send it over your way. Just respond and say, hey, I can't get to it or we're going to get to it, but not sure when or we're going to get to it, but you know, I'll come back to you in a week or so, right? Just acknowledging acknowledgement of receipt and then sort of a plan of action after, I think is, is hugely important because or else the, the person who sent it just gets frustrated and they keep escalating and dunning you. And then you're sort of on the other, other side, just getting frustrated of why is this person keep dunning me on the same request? And just, I think it just doesn't create a good work experience. I think you said something interesting, which is like, hey, operational leaders and operational excellence. Ironically, I feel it's the opposite. The ones who are very fluid and who have the ability to adapt very, very easily to the situation at hand. Those are the ones that seem to thrive very well, meaning folks who are not very rigid and stuck to a certain way of things, but who are willing to understand outcomes and what the business needs and then adapt to it. They're the ones who actually do very well um, long-term because the likelihood that you stay in a certain job for more than two years, I think statistically keeps dropping. And you have to almost accept as, a, as a most operational leaders would, yeah, it's going to change. Either the situation is going to change for you because some, there's some exogenous event that's forced your organization to operate differently, or you yourself are going to do your adventure for two to three years, and then you're going to look for your next gig. 
either way you look at it, uh, the only constant thing that seems to be there, as the great Buddha once said, is the only constant thing in life is change. So if, if you accept that premise for a moment, I think having very rigid views um, or hierarchies without understanding the implications of best uh, of the business outcomes probably are going to be a disservice for you long term. I think understanding frameworks is important and understanding best practices is important. So you have a reference point to then adapt to the existing businesses needs or the existing situations needs. So I think rigidity almost plays against you. Uh, you almost have to be as Bruce Lee said, like you have to be like water, right? You have to be very fluid and adapt to, to what, what comes your way. It's a very, very valid point. And I think, again, they're bringing it back to those core skills that, you know, companies should be hiring for and training for internally is that fluid thinking. And you can be fluid, as you say, if you understand frameworks, if you understand how to go back up to the why, and, and ask the questions around relevance. Yeah, and I think that's okay. where the design thinking is so critical. Announce your personal values, according to which you would live your daily life. What are they and how do you live them out in your current role at Piperfly? I believe that you have to be a student uh, forever and you have to constantly learn. And certainly um, in a professional capacity, I'm, I'm one of those people uh, who, who's very fortunate to manage an amazing group of individuals with a wide array of talents. And I feel my job is to keep pushing them to, to change, right? Um, I think, and push them in a comfortable way, right? Um, certainly COVID has brought its own challenges uh, where personal and professional lives continue to get intertwined and some people are able to take on a challenge and this is the right time and other people it's, it's just the worst time because they're they're suffering with anxiety sort of support at home or other changes that they need and they actually need more professional understanding than a professional push so i always felt people who coach me and it's the ones who are very tough but at the same time understanding and they want the best for you and your organization those are the best to work with so i always feel like that notion of continuous learning uh, that i feel is hugely important for us as human beings that's definitely translated very well professionally the other thing though that i would say that i'm embracing more and more of is sometimes like you know just enjoy life like smell the roses and celebrate the highs um, and, and ensure that you see what you're doing is is sort of coming to bear, right? Um, and certainly having a son uh, that's two and a half years old now, it, that opens up different elements of it's also important to quote unquote have fun. I'm incredibly fortunate, I would say, where that's actually one of the values that we have here at PipeFi is to have fun, uh, which it sounds super obvious, but ultimately... If you're going to spend what used to be eight hours or nine hours for an average person, now it's coming to 10 to 11 hours in the world of post-COVID, how can it not be personal? Uh, how can work not be personal, right? You're spending majority of your waking hours doing that and working with individuals in a professional capacity. It's incredibly important that 
folks have fun and they're not struggling and, and they're not grinding it out day in and day out. I think that that second value is also hugely important as I think about uh, my professional career. Be a student and have fun. <laughs> very, very good advice. Yeah. And as we are coming to the end of our time together, the time has flown by. Thank you so much. Maybe time for one or two quick questions. I want to sort of keep it quite broad and quite open. What do you believe are any blind spots that people should be really considering seriously? And I'm talking really in regards to the, the future of work and the future of business operations. Yeah, I think the blind spot that I feel a lot of people have is there's this notion of consolidation of tools and, uh, and collapsing the tech stack. My role prior to coming here at Pipefy was in cybersecurity, and I've, I've heard this this theme come up so many times. Now, granted, that came more from a security lens, a cybersecurity lens, and certainly, as, as we're seeing, cybersecurity is paramount. I think it's a flawed assumption. I, I do think you'll actually see proliferation of tools, not consolidation, because as you see more and more and more specialists emerge in the world, they will need their own tools to be effective and to, to bring to bear the amazing talents that they have. So I actually think we'll, we'll see, we'll continue to see the proliferation. And I would say the modern hospital is a phenomenal example of, of that happening real world. That's not to say that there's a bunch of legacy stack that needs to be turned off and then modernized, but this notion that new tools won't come up and sort of the core systems will take care of everything. It's a, it's an extremely flawed assumption in my view. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, you, know, you would have thought going forward with more technology, everything would be sort of come closer and closer together. Like the design of new cars, they all start looking the same. But actually, as you need more specialization, the, the tools must go that way as well. I think all of us want simplicity and we want consolidation, but they're not necessarily one and the same. If you're talking to people that are actually entering the workspace at the moment, how does a solution like Piperfy change their careers and the skills that will be deemed essential? It goes back to our mission, which is we enable doers to drive change. And we take that quite seriously. So a lot of times what I feel happens is the issues are actually happening at the front lines. And a lot of people get frustrated to say, well, you know, this could be done so much better only if we had dot, 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 dot. And there's resistance that come in in one or two forms, maybe more. Um, but the, the most common one that we see is change management, which is, uh, I would say, a very higher order problem to solve where that requires not a technical change, but rather a cultural or a mind shift change. And I don't expect the person coming straight out of school uh, to be able to tackle that problem. But I think what we also see, especially for the more simple things uh, where work can get easier, and again, we can go back to being students and also having fun at the same time, uh, is the little annoying things that occupy most of your time but produce a little value. I think RPA and iPass connectors have done an, a tremendous job in, in moving us forward in that direction. But the second you come to process or some sort of a human-centric automation, if you're the person who can solve that and bring in like a technical layer, uh, whether it be Pipefy or other low-code application platforms, and 
actually change the execution velocity of your team so they're not bogged down in the day-to-day grind, you're going to be a hero and you're going to be celebrated as sort of this technical evangelist who solved, again, a simple problem, but a problem that affected a lot of people and took away a lot of time. I really believe that if you if you can embrace the technical aspects and understand uh, what this low-code movement means and the application of these low-code movements and the just the sheer breadth of problems that it solves, you're going to be a natural hero and a leader because uh, you're going to emerge as that person who can then take those technical skills and then drive the change management skills that are required for organizations of the 22nd century. Thank you for taking the time, you know, to do this with us today. It's it's an area that really excites me, but I'm in the trenches, so you know, I understand why I'm excited, and I just I really do want to evangelize it broader outside of the people who are currently in the trenches because I think it's a game changer, and it is the future of work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Doug and Clara, for having me. I would love to do this again. Ananth, I'm sure we'll be chatting to you again soon. So that's the essence of the future of work for knowledge workers and companies right there. We really hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, we look forward to inviting you back sometime soon. Just a reminder for more information about Wanda and the integration services that they supply, you can visit their website. That's wndyr.com. And so, as always, from me, Doug Folks and Chaos and Rocket Fuel, stay safe and we'll see you soon. 